everybody. How you doing? Kind of like uh, Bobby was saying, I really have enjoyed uh, the format and the number of people up here with the leading us on. I think it's great. Screens are working great, so absolutely awesome. So just keep it up. Really, 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 really good. So in a few minutes, we'll be over in the book of Joshua, 7th chapter. If you want to go ahead and flip over there, we'll read from there in just a little bit. And since we're, we're doing titles, if I had a title, it would be, I would refer to, the, to this message as promised land living and that no failure is final. So since it's Super Bowl Sunday, I've shared a little Super Bowl uh, story with you. So probably most of you probably didn't know who was playing tonight. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the 1991 Super Bowl. So I won't even ask who was, say who was playing then. But the Super Bowl was in, was in Tampa that year. And the two teams, it was the Buffalo Bills and the uh, New York Giants. And it was a back and forth game. It was really close. And as it got down to the final seconds, Giants were up 20 to 19 and the Bills had the ball and were driving. <clears throat> and they got all the way down to, fi- finally they got all the way down to the, about the 30 something yard line. I can't remember what it was exactly. But look for sure that the Bills were probably going to get a field goal and win. And the reason it looked so sure is the Bills had one of the best kickers at that time in football, Scott Norwood. He was solid. He was secure. That year in particular, he had hit 32 out of 38 field goals. He was towards the end of his career. And from when they finally lined him up to kick the field goal with just a few seconds left, he was, I think it would end up being about a 42-yarder somewhere in that ballpark. It wasn't that long from today's standards. From then it might have been. But he had made over 100 field goals from that distance in his career. So Buffalo thought for sure that they had it, that it was going to go through. So, you know, after a couple timeouts and, and all the commercials like Bob talks about, they got to get a few in at the end. Scott Norwood goes through his kick routine, comes out on the field, and, you know, I was sure he was going to make it. He was as dependable as snow is in Buffalo. I mean, it's a sure thing, from, especially for him from that distance. So they snap the ball. He keeps his head down. He kicks the ball. Everything's perfect. His head comes up through the follow-through. The ball's well on its way. And then he realized he missed it. It was wide right. And the wrong sideline erupt, because I hate the Giants. The <laughs> The wrong sideline erupts. They go crazy, and the Giants win the Super Bowl 20-19. Scott Norwood hangs his head and walks off the field. Feeling, imagine how he felt. Horrible. And we'll come, we'll come back to him you know, here just in, just in a few minutes. But if you think about it, after that kick, no mulligan, no do-over. There was no flag. There was no chance to kick that again. He had failed in what he wanted to do. Now, the worst part about that was, I, can't, I think it was the New York Times, I can't remember, but the headline the next morning read, Wide Right Forever. And so Buffalo had, had lost that chance. And, you know, you can imagine how Scott had, must have felt when he walked off the field. We'll come back to him in a little bit. Just like Joshua felt after the children of Israel 
lost the battle at the city of, spelled A-I, just pronounced I, the city of I. Um, in fact, the Bible tells us there that the, the hearts of the people, they had just won Jericho, but the hearts of the people had melted after 36 of their people died at the city, at the city of I. Now, Israel's history is a, basically a string of failures. The Bible is actually a story of failures. And we'll talk a little bit about that more in a minute. Abraham had too many wives. Jacob told too many lies. Esau sold his birthright. Joseph's brothers sold Joseph. There were four, almost 400 years, four centuries of bondage in Egypt where they were, where they were slaves. Followed by 40 years of, of wilderness wandering. And then even after they got over to the promised land, there was that basically 70 years of Babylonian exile. And during that time frame, they built two separate temples and ended up losing them both. They ended up losing the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody even knows, has an idea what happened to that. But in all that history of failure that I just talked about, there was one incredible bright spot. That seven-year period, which covers the book of Joshua, where they went into the promised land. And during that time, it was actually miraculous. They won over, if I counted them right, 20 or maybe 21 battles were won through the book. The The only loss was that little battle at I, which we'll talk about, and they went back and, and, and changed that. They overthrew seven kings... And basically captured 25,000 miles of choice real estate for their nation that had been promised to them from centuries before. So during that time, they experienced the power of God, the presence of God in their lives, and the possession of the land which God had promised to them a long time ago. Now, brothers and sisters, that's what I want to share with you this morning God wants us to experience His power. He wants us to live with His presence. And He wants us to possess all of the promises that He has given us in His Word, you see. And that's why I refer to this message as promised land living. Brothers and sisters, you and I can live, have promised land living right now, you see. Now, some of the hymn writers, and there's a lot of metaphors and people who push the promised land or Canaan's land off to and compare it with heaven. That's not, that's not right. You've heard me say that so many times before. Because Canaan's land, the promised land, cannot be heaven because if you think about it, there was sin there. There was enemies there. There were struggles there. There'll be none of that in heaven. But as a child of God with the power and presence of God, you and I, the Bible even teaches us, we're more than conquerors right now. Does that mean we won't have struggles? No. Does that mean we won't have failures? No. Does that mean we won't have setbacks? No. But brothers and sisters, the good thing about it is God's with us every step of the way. And that helps us be those overcomers, if you you see we can do all those we can do all those things like i said one one defeat in all those years the city of i 
AI. I heard one preacher preach on this one time, and when he was talking about how they got to be there, he said, I, 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 I. <laughs> but they, so think about it again. It's Joshua, I always say this, I probably, because every book you probably heard me say it one time, Joshua probably is my favorite book. True. Because it is, it, it really explains to us how we should live and think now with God. If you remember, one of the first big cities they came to was Jericho. Walled city and, and so great and everything. And you all know the story how they marched around, marched around, and then those walls come tumbling down and they conquered that city. They were just coming off of that victory. And so there's a smaller city over here. I is, is coming up. And Josh was talking to his advisors. And they're kind of like, you know, we don't really need to send our whole army over there. Compared to Jericho, this is nothing. We'll just send a few thousand men. I think 3,000, I think was the number. We'll just send a few thousand men over there. We'll take it. No big deal. We'll have a meal prepared. We'll have a party when they come back. This is an easy win. No problem whatsoever. The only problem was when those 3,000 men of, of Israel went to, went to the city of Ai, the city of Ai was ready for them. And even though they were smaller, even though they probably were outnumbered even by the 3,000, they came out and they pounced on them. And they beat them, and 36 men died right away. The others ran like a dog with their tail between their legs all the way back. And the Bible tells us there in the chapter before, I'm going to read here in a minute, in the sixth chapter, basically says the hearts of the people melted. Have you ever had your heart melt with a failure, a setback, bad news? That's exactly what happened here, you see, to the children of Israel. This was supposed to be an easy win. This was supposed to be a sure thing. But no, it ended up being a setback. Now, you also know the rest of the story. We're not going to get into that this morning. But they, the, part of the reason for the defeat, there was sin in the camp. There was a man called Achan who had taken some possessions he shouldn't have and buried them in his tent. And Joshua had to deal with that. And that had to all be taken care of and destroyed. And just like you, if there's sin in your camp, sin in your life, you need to take care of that too. And, but just like they were singing about, God's grace is more than able to do that. So if you've got your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, I'll read just a couple verses here. Maybe they'll have them up on the screen. Starting at the 6th uh, verse. So this is, after, this is after the battle. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel... And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, O Lord. What can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the, from the earth. And what will you do? For your great name. And we'll stop right there for right now. So they got the wind knocked out of their sails. That was a gut punch. That was a setback. The hearts of the people melted. It says it there in, in the fifth verse. You know, this was, this was horrible. And can't you... So just like I was talking about Scott Norwood after he kicked that, made that kick. And I still remember watching him walking off of the field like this. Can you imagine now Joshua, who, who had sent the 3,000 men there that utterly got pounced on, how he feels now? 
the people are probably starting to, to glare a little bit. Why did we cross over Jordan? You know, we're only, we're, now we're going to lose. Kind of like what they used to say you know, a lot of years before. Why'd you bring us out of Egypt, Moses? We were better off there. Why'd you bring us over, over the Jordan now, Joshua, to die? Joshua could probably feel every person's looking at him. Joshua, you failed. Joshua, you blew it. Joshua, this was supposed to be easy. Joshua can't lead. Joshua's not a good leader. Maybe we should promote Caleb to be in charge. The worst part of it was, Joshua, probably like a a lot of people, and like, like a lot of times we do, probably joined into that refrain. Maybe I'm not the right person. You know, a lot of times when those gut punches come and you get your wind knocked, we get those doubts. Maybe I'm not the right person to do this. Maybe it wasn't meant for me. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. The sad part is we join right in with those, with those voices. And even if somebody's looking at us, they might be just looking at us because they like our shirt. But we think they're looking at us because we're a failure. And they know we're a failure. And that's exactly what Joshua was going through. When you failed a test, whatever that test is, when the marriage fails, when the business fails, when you lose your job, when you get bad news, when those gut punches come, brothers and sisters, what I want to tell you, in God's hands, no failure is ever final. No failure seals your destiny. God is the God of second chances. God is the God, and the Bible's the story of a God who can take messes and take a lot of bad news and by the good news of His love and grace, turn it around into a happy ending. You see? And that's what the most wonderful thing about all this is. All this is. How do you get through those failures? You know, there's all kinds of self-help books written out there about how to succeed, how to do great in this, how to do great. There's not a whole lot of books about how to get through failure, but here's a great one. It's the best one, you, the only one you really ever need. The Bible's the story of how we can get through that. Now, two tips to, that we can gain, glean out of this story in terms of how we can get through failures. So the first one, the first one I would say is we've got to put the past in the past. So if you feel we're same place where we were there in verse 10 of the seventh chapter of Joshua. Look what after Joshua, the prayer I just read, look, listen to what the Lord says. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you fall on your face? And then he goes on and talks about the sin that Israel committed and the transgression and how he's got to deal with it. But I love what he says to him there. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? And I think that God, that's the first thing that God's telling everyone of us when we fail, get up. You can only wallow in it so long. I heard somebody say one time that failure is like quicksand. The longer you stay in it, the more you get sunk down in it. So brothers and sisters, whatever the failure was, whatever the bad news was, whatever the setback was, whatever the sin was, get up. That's the first thing that God says. Get up. You can only lay around with your face wallowing so long. Get up. 
There's things you got to do, you see. Don't be afraid or dismayed. I'm sure all of Israel was afraid. We get afraid when things happen, when we hear certain things. God says, don't be afraid. Isn't that the, some of the best words that you've ever heard in the Bible when God says, don't be afraid? When He told the disciples, fear not. Don't you love it sometimes in your life when you've had horrible things happen and you can feel that still, small voice speak inside and say, fear not. Amen. It's going to be all right. Don't be dismayed. God says that over and over through the Bible. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you what, no matter what you're facing, no matter what it is, we don't have to fear because God's able to take care of it. You see, God's more than able to take care of it. Like I said, in God's, in God's hands, no failure is ever final. Over in Psalm 37, maybe they're popping things up. I didn't even look. Psalm 37. I don't remember that. This is such a cool thing. I love it. Talks about the steps are a man of a man are established by the Lord. And if he fall, go to the next one. If he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Some of the translations say it shall not be fatal. It shall not be final. Brothers and sisters, God's got our steps ordained. He guides and He establishes. And when we fall, brothers and sisters, He says, get up. I've got more for you to do. There's still more that you can have it. Now, how part of when once we get up, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just get up? No. What we do is we get up and we face our failures, we face our mistakes, we face our shortcomings in light of God's goodness. Brothers and sisters, what I want to tell you is, no matter how great your failure is, no matter how great your sin is, God's grace is greater. No matter how big your problem is, no matter how big that wall is you're trying to overcome, God is able to do anything. And He's greater than that problem. You see, too many times we look at our problems, brothers and sisters, and we look at them compared to us, and we say, how in the world am I ever going to get through this? We need to be just like David. When the, as the children of Israel looked at that old giant Goliath, they said, look how big Goliath is. We're so small compared to him. David looked at it a little bit different. He said, yeah, Goliath is a pretty tall guy, but next to my God, he's nothing, brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you, next to our God, problems we have, issues we have, Failures we have are nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to God. So we need to look at our failures. We need to look at our setbacks. We need to look at all of our bad news in light of God's goodness and who He is. It's a fundamental truth, brothers and sisters. God's grace is greater than your failure or your sin. If you, if you don't get that, if you don't grasp that, if you don't think that way, you're going to miss so much and you're certainly going to miss promised land living. If, if, if we really don't believe, why would we even get up in the morning? Because if God's grace is, and He's not bigger and greater, if His grace is not sufficient, then any failure, sin, setback, bad news that we have, we have no hope. We might as well tie an anchor to our feet and jump in the ocean. But brothers and sisters, it is true, and it's said over and over through the Word of God, He is greater than any problem, any trouble, any failure, any setback that we have, you see. So I figure, brothers and sisters, once we get up, we've got to see 
our problem, our issue, our failure in light of God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy. And then we've got to start moving. We, you know, we can stumble. We can stumble in our guilt and sin, and a lot of people do that. I'm terrible. I'm horrible. I'm a bad person. There's no hope for me. We can stumble around our guilt and sin, or we can stumble into the arms of God. <coughs> I'd rather stumble into the arms of God. You know, the prodigal did that. If you remember the story how he left his father, went and let and riotous living, lost all of his money, got a job as a, as a Jewish boy, which is not what you want to do, got a job feeding the hogs. So hungry that he was looking at the hogs' food and thinking how good it was. That looks pretty good because I don't have anything. You know, I don't know if this is true, but I've always thought one day maybe he was so hungry, he was about to grab, get down and put his hand and get a little bit of that pig slop and bring it up and eat it. But then the Bible says he came to himself. I think one, maybe right as he was starting to get that little bite, he thought, he stepped back, wait a minute, who am I? Who is my father? In my father's house, there's bread enough to spare. I know what, I, what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise up, get up, just like Josh had to do, and I'm going to go to my Father. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things you might not be able to do with your problem. There's a lot of things you might not be able to handle. There's a lot of knots and details you might not be able to untangle. But brothers and sisters, every one of us is capable of getting up and going to our Father. And that's exactly what you need to do when you have that problem, when you have that failure, when you have that setback, arise and go to your father. And you're not going to find a father there who's ready to judge you and say, I told you so. You shouldn't have done that. You're going to find a father who's just like the prodigal found was looking for you along with those arms outstretched. Welcome home, son. I've been waiting for you to come back. That's the kind of father you're going to find. Not one who's going to say, I told you you shouldn't have went and done that. But one who's going to welcome you with grace, mercy, and love, you see, coming back. The pig pen's a horrible place. And you don't have to stay there. If you don't remember anything that I said, remember what I said about sin, failure, sorrow, setbacks. It's like quicksand. Quit wallowing in it. Or you'll sink, get sunk in it. Get up. Rise up. And go to your father. Now the second thing you have to do. The second that was number one. Put the past in the past. Get up. Go to your father. Second thing you have to do. Is you have to put God's plan in place. If you go over. If you go over to. Chapter 8. Flip over to chapter 8. The first verse there. This is what the Lord says to him. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and rise up and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. So now we've got to put God's, God's plan in place, not our plan. And I'll make that point here in a second. You need to go back, brothers and sisters. To the, you need to revisit the place of your failure. You need to go back where you left it, just like the man who lost the axe head off the handle. The prophet said, where'd you lose it? You've got to go back to the place of your failure. Now, I want you to think about the battle, the battle strategy here before. Now, 
when they go to I this time, it's a resounding victory. The battle strategy is great. I actually used this in an analogy in a paper I wrote in Air War College years ago when I was having to study, which is kind of cool because now I'm getting to do some battle stuff. But anyway, this, the strategy was pretty cool. He sent a whole large group of men that went and laid an ambush behind the city. And then Joshua and his men took some more men and he led them. They went towards the city. And when he, when he got to the city, when the, he said the, you know, the city of the children or the army of I will come out towards us. And when they come out, we're going to flee like we did before. And they're going to chase us and think, hey, we're, we're running just like they did before. He says, and while we're running, those people who are lying in ambush are going to come in and destroy the city. And that's exactly what happened. Joshua and his men took off. The king of Ai and his people are chasing them. The, all, some of Joshua's men come in. They burn the city. And then Joshua's all of a sudden, his guys stop. And they turn around and the, the, city, the armies of Ai turn around and they look and they see smoke billowing up from their city behind. And then the men who had ambushed the city come and basically they kind of sandwiched them and defeated them and whole heart basically destroyed every one of them, the whole army right there in that day. So it's a pretty incredible battle strategy. You see, brothers and sisters, failures are only failures if we don't rise up and go to our Father and if we don't learn from them. Joshua learned some value. I don't have time to compare all the details, but just a few of them between before. If you remember before, the first time they went to Ai, when they turned with the 3,000 men and they turned around and ran, Joshua didn't consult God. He was only listening to his military advisors. The military advisor said, don't bother the whole army. Just send a few. This is going to be easy. So Joshua only consulted his advisor. This time, he was listening to God. You see, brothers and sisters, that's what happens to us a lot of times. We'll consult everybody in the world. We'll listen to our own self, but we won't listen to God. We won't talk to God about it until there's a problem. So this time, instead of just talking to his advisors, he talked to God. The first time, he only took 3,000. This time, what I just read to you, God told him to take all of his men. Take all your fighting men and go. And more importantly, the first time, Joshua didn't go. He stayed back. This time, Joshua led. Joshua's out there with him leading it. So brothers and sisters, you see what Joshua needed was a, was a brand new plan. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, that's all you need is a brand new plan. Just because the first one didn't work, the first one was probably your plan. The first one was probably what somebody else told you you should do. Brothers and sisters, what you need to do is tear up those plans, get down on your knees, and say, God, what do you want me to do? Arise, go to your Father. <coughs> Yeah, that reminds me too of of Peter. When the one time when Jesus, because of the people, Jesus got in his boat boat and was off from the shore speaking to the people. That was when Peter had been fishing for the whole night and didn't catch anything. And then Jesus says, hey, go and cast your net. It's like, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Peter's probably thinking, besides, what do you know about fishing? You're a preacher. You're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. But Peter needed a new plan. And you all know what happened when he went out there. They cast the net. The net was so heavy it almost turned the boat over and I was basically afraid it was going to tear the net. 
Brothers and sisters, you and I need a new plan, and that new plan is not our plan. It's not your parents' plan. It's not your, what the world's plan is for you. It's God's plan for you. Amen. That's the plan you need. Young people, listen to me. You may have all kinds of people telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you should go here, you should go there. Listen to what God has for you. And my one prayer for every, not for, for young and old, but especially young. You know, going back real quick to the prodigal. Like I said, right when he was getting ready to maybe take a little bite of that pig slop, the Lord spoke to him. Who are you? Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Arise, go to your father. My prayer is, young people, for every one of you that when Satan gets you towards the pig pen and is tempting you to do something that you should not do, that the God of my Father through the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart and say, hold on a minute. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Arise. Get out of there. Get out of that pig pen and go back to your father. You see. Because that's what you need. In everything you do, put God first. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll direct your paths. Put Him first, brothers and sisters. Put Him first, you see. Yeah, Abraham, and there's example after example. I don't even have time to... Abraham's the first time he trusted in his wisdom and others' advice, he ended up with Ishmael. Then he listened to God and had faith and he ended up with the child of promise, Isaac. And you all know the ramifications between those two and the problems that that all led to. If you think about it deeply, Judas, Judas and Peter committed the same sin. They both betrayed the Lord. The difference was Peter humbled himself and depended on the grace of God and Jesus' grace, Judas couldn't bring himself to do that. So again, the difference, brother, failure happens to every one of us. Setbacks happen to every one of us. Sin happens to every one of us. The difference is, how do you deal with it? Arise and go to your Father. Put Him first in absolutely everything you do. Wise up. Learn from your failures, you see. Leave your guilt. Leave your regrets behind. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge your sin. And rise up and try again. As I was studying this over the last couple weeks and thinking about it, I also ran across Psalm 3.5 where it says God will lift up your head. It talks about God lifting up your head. Then we'll put it up here. Go to the Keep going. Oh, there it is. The lifter of my head. Have you ever had God lift up your head? Have you ever been so down and so hurt that you couldn't even lift your own head up? Yes. I've had God lift my head up. Thank God for those times too. He'll lift it up. Sometimes you have trouble getting up like Joshua did, but God's able to lift your head up. Thankful, I'm thankful He's the lifter of my head when we need that. The message for all of you is that today's stumble can be tomorrow's victory. Today's failure 
can be tomorrow's victory as you realize what God's able to do for you. You can be better, wiser, and closer to God. Now let's go back to Scott Norwood. Bobby said he was going to get you out here in time for the Super Bowl. I'll get you out here in time for lunch. Let's go back to Scott Norwood. That night, as he walked off the field, he didn't want to talk to anybody. He didn't want to see anybody. He talked about how he spent that night just alone in his hotel room. He said no calls, no visitors. I think some people did try to come to see him. He just wanted to be alone. Feeling like the greatest failure in the world and somebody who would always remember, be remembered for wide ride. Felt like his teammates would hate him. Nobody would want him. Nobody would want anything to do with him. Like I said, that Super Bowl was in Tampa. A few days later, there was a a reception and a parade in Buffalo. People of Buffalo love their football team. Even if they win or lose, and they've never won a Super Bowl, they still are actually pretty good to them. So they were having a reception and a parade. They built a big platform for the team. Scott said, I don't want to go. He didn't want to go. But he went. And I mean, he said he... He said, I found the two biggest linemen I could that I stood behind. He said, you know, some of the Jim Kelly, the star quarterback, spoke. Bruce Smith, one of the great defensive players, spoke. And then a couple of the civic leaders. One of the mayor was speaking. And he said, he said, I'm thinking, oh, good, I'm about to get out of here. He said, but then there was a cheer that erupted in the crowd. The crowd started saying, we want Scotty. We want Scotty. We want Scotty. And he said, I was scared because I didn't know what they wanted Scotty for. <laughs> he, but finally, a couple of linemen turned around and said, they want you, Scott. <laughs> so he walked over to the podium. And the place, some of the people were sitting. The place got up in an incredible standing ovation. The clapping went on. You can, I think it's on YouTube. The clapping went on for a long time. And one of the first things he said there was, he said, I have never felt so much love or so a part of a family than I feel right now. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly, you know, he was defining success as being the hero and making that kick. What he found out was, was success was being loved and accepted by 25,000 people despite his failure. Brothers and sisters, that's what I found. That's what every one of us has found. Despite my sins, despite my failure, God accepts me and loves me. My Christian church family accepts me and loves me. And brothers and sisters, that is more success than anything the world can offer. Hebrews 12.1 says we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Boy, that cloud of witnesses, it's more than 25,000. And there's a lot of them there. Joshua's there. Caleb's there. Peter's there. Some not so notables to them, but to me. I got family there, a grandpa there, a mom there, a grandma there. And you know what? Every once in a while, 
When I'm feeling like I failed, I can't go on anymore. When I can put my ear up to the edge of heaven, I can hear them all saying, Tony, Tony, keep going. You can do it. Brothers and sisters, every one of us, no failure is final. God is there. Heaven is cheering us on. Whatever setback you get, no matter how bad it is, God's more than able to turn it around for you. If you're here this morning and you're fa- you failed, you sinned, you've come short, whatever it is, I want to tell every one of you, it is not final. God is more than able to turn it around for you. Arise. Go to your Father. If you've never known the Lord in the free pardon of your sin, arise. Come to your Father this morning and accept His love and mercy and be saved. So thankful for every one of you and the love and support that you've always given me. Brother Bob, over to you.